Welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monica, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about House of Hades chapters 33 through 40. I'm so excited. It happens in the weirdest way possible. Yeah, like what a way. (laughs) I know. He had choices and he chose to do this. Mm -hmm. All right, Rick. All right. right, (laughs) I'm also excited about these chapters because I personally have been to Split and so I can be annoying about that. I've been to the place, the dial, whatever, dialation whatever palace i have a photo yeah. of it like i can be really annoying and i have that right i think because <laughs> i spent two days in split and i had a stomach ache both of them oh, <laughs> i'm a survivor <laughs> i was thinking about this earlier because i was like did you read these you hadn't read these books when no. you went to split so i think mm-hmm. that's interesting i feel like you would have it would have been more like fixation on this and be like this is where nico got out of it <laughs> Fully would have. I would have been like, where's Cupid? <laughs> <laughs> the second thing is that tummy thing reminded me is like I was hanging out with um, a couple of our friends and we were talking about, remember in high school, we used to get cups of rice with soy sauce. I was like, yes, a okay. lunch. yes, yes. <laughs> and I made a comment. I was like, yeah, it was great, especially if your tummy was hurting. <laughs> and my roommate goes, you guys get so many tummy aches. <laughs> I truly, I saw a meme of a shirt where it was like survivor of a tummy ache and it had a person like passed out. And I was like, I think I should really get that. Especially anytime I'm like traveling. I always say like, I love travel, but like this body was not made for it. Some people thrive. Me, I have a tummy ache the whole trip. (laughs) And then I go again for some reason. (laughs) I got sent a TikTok again by my roommate that was like, um, there are tummy ache people and there are headache people. And if you have both, you're bisexual. Mm. <laughs> that, you know, from my small sample size of myself, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had a tummy ache and a headache today. So like, it's, it's called having range. <laughs> it's so stupid. Okay, we got quite off topic immediately oh, it's because of split all i can think of is my tummy ache there it was real bad i love i love the idea that you will travel the world and you will remember places based off of the severity of tummy ache you had in that country yeah it was like extremely bad in split but i remember i thought i was deep at the time i was recently graduated college you know 21 bright-eyed mm-hmm. and I remember journaling after because I had like the like a very bad tummy ache it was a very crowded bus stop we missed our bus to go to this national park thing and I was like I'm gonna throw up and I don't have coins for the bathroom because Europeans are weird and make you pay for the bathroom mm-hmm. and I remember though then I didn't throw up we got the next bus and it was like the best day there and I was like journaling and I was like trying thought it was really deep like wow you have to go through suffering to shut up <laughs> <laughs> and that's all i could think about <laughs> <in> the split <laughs> god gave his strongest warriors the weirdest tummy aches <laughs> it's, it's true it's true you know nico probably had a tummy ache in these chapters i mean poor boy yeah he definitely did yeah <laughs> All right, to summarize what we're going to be talking about, basically, Jason and Nico are going to face the god of love, and Annabeth is on a mission to meet a giant and heal Percy. And I get to start with our first Jason chapters, this book. We haven't heard from Jason since back in um, the first one. What is it called? Jesus The Lost Hero. The Lost Hero, yeah. They haven't heard from him since The Lost Hero, so it's going to be fine to hear from him now you know you'd think it would be insightful it's fine (laughs) it's fine it's actually really funny the entire time but that's because i've decided to treat him kind of like satire and Mm. i think it makes him much more much more hilarious yeah Um, i agree so chapter jason chapters 33 through 36 
so chapter 33, we start off our first Jason chapter with a classic Jason being knocked out. Um, basically, while fighting the venti, Jason forgot to hold his breath. And apparently, when the venti gets slashed, it sucks the air from your lungs and you pass out. So Jason is falling to his death. And since he's knocked out, he's sucked into a demigod dream and is unable to get up. In his dream, he sees the Empire State Building and its light is constantly switching from purple to orange to like, you know, represent of the camps fighting each other. I'm like, why is the Empire State involved? Have you yeah. seen what the Empire State Building is doing on Twitter? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, I think someone has lost their mind there. It's definitely some marketing thing, but like for the past few weeks, I mean, this will come out weeks from now. <laughs> we'll see if they're still doing it, but they've mm. been like nonstop tweeting about Percy Jackson. That's so fun. And I think there's, like, maybe there's going to be some announcement or, like, you know, maybe they're going to actually film at the actual, I don't know. But they've been, like, really tweeting about, it's been funny. It was funny for a few tweets. And then I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Who 100%. hacked this account? <laughs> no, 100%. They're going to be like, come visit the Empire State Building and they'll have, like, a national Percy Jackson yeah. day. And they're going to get, like, you know... Idiots like us to pay them eighty dollars oh, to walk a building. Yeah, there's gonna be like a new floor six hundred. That's like a huge money grab. And I know, have a restaurant but I'll there. Go. I'll go. T shirts. Oh my god, I will get a t shirt. I will pay yeah. the eighty dollars to get the t shirt. I'll go, but I'm gonna judge the Empire State Building for doing this to me. I know. I'm gonna complain the whole time, but I will have fun. <laughs> um. Yeah, so basically Empire State Building is involved, even though I was thinking about this, but the Empire State Building is Mount Olympus. Yeah. But the Roman gods don't live on Mount Olympus. I guess. So the Roman gods... They, when they switch? So are they like, somewhere else? Are they somewhere else? Do they not care about... Maybe they all are dispersed? Did the I don't Roman know, I like, gods have like a mountain? I I don't know. They just had like I thought they lived in Rome with the Romans. Um. Oh, it says the Romans also thought the gods to live on Mount Olympus. This is from mythology.stackexchange.com. So I don't Stack really trust exchanged. that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, if they, if they do live on Mount Olympus, you would assume that. Jason has been to Mount Olympus, a.k.a. the Empire State Building, and might have run into Percy there. Like, <laughs> immediately in status change, if you're just like, okay, there's Annabeth, who's, like, literally designing buildings for Mount Olympus, and then there's Jason and Reyna, who've never seen the Empire State Building up close. Like, I don't know. They've yeah, like, Clarice got to go on, like, a, a field trip to Mount Olympus <laughs> yeah. like, during the winter. <laughs> And, like, they're stuck in, what, uh, San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I just thought that was weird. I didn't think about that until that moment. Anyway, he sees all of his old Roman friends, including Reyna, who looks exhausted, by the way. He also has a moment where he's looking at Reyna and he feels guilty because he's like, I promised a future with her, even though I didn't say it with words. I'm like, it's, it's insane because he's been missing for about a year, right? Mm-hmm. He's at most 16. Yeah. These, like, 13-year-olds are promising each other the future. Like, calm down. It's true, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, they also, Raina said they never even dated. Which no. we know in, like, you know, in Rick's writing, that means they also never kissed. Because you can't kiss if you're not dating. No, that would be horrible. <laughs> would be against the rules. <laughs> so, what they promise... He promised her with, like, holding her hand once. <laughs> yeah, no, he gazed into her eyes, and they looked over the sunset, and he was like, we're gonna have a family. And then they were like, yes. <laughs> anyway, everything he talks about, he's like, back in my old days, like, back in the, the time, like, we were, you know, we promised each other this and that. I'm like, you were 14. Like, they also, like, we've read PJO, so we know what they were, like, all these demigods were like when they were 12, and the idea <laughs> that they were, like, you know captains are like you know what is it called like generals praetors. of yeah they're praetors who i would never put a 16 year old in charge no no mm -hmm. like the like minimum age is 21 
<laughs> it's minimal in the Roman times too. Like they've been, yeah. they lived for a long time. Like nobody was a general at like sixteen, even in the Roman times. But Jason's just such a great general. He's such <laughs> a know. good leader. God, the best leader. <laughs> They were waiting for someone, and in that moment, Grover and Rachel walk in. They are calm and unbothered, and Rachel tells them that she knows that Rena has gotten her message. Octavian is also there for some reason. He's being extremely annoying. He wants them to be searched, and our queen Rachel is like, whatever, search me. I'm not scared <laughs> of you. She's like, I once threw the, a hairbrush into the eye of uh, a titan, so, you know, screw you. Yeah. Go off, but okay. Yeah, they think that she's just a mortal and it's like a satyr and a mortal are trying to have a conversation and they think it's beneath them. Grover introduces himself and he mentions that he's a friend of Percy's, which Octavian latches onto and that means that he's an enemy. Raina, on the other hand, wants to hear what they have to say, so she silences the little creep. Rachel holds up a message that she received from Annabeth from Tartarus. Jason is so confused on... Like, he's like, how any of this happened? He's actually like, actually, I think it's more plausible that I'm dead right now than the fact that Annabeth is actually sent a message from Tartarus. Yeah. We don't know immediately what Annabeth has asked Reyna to do, but Reyna is shocked and confused. Rachel cements that knowledge that she's actually super fucking cool. She, she basically does the whole thing where she's like, she uses Reyna's full name, which nobody knows, apparently. And so they are like, who are you? How do you know that? So Rachel tells them she's the Oracle of Delphi, which Octavian doesn't believe. Then with perfect cinematic timing, Rachel has her green glow hot girl Oracle moment <laughs> before she dims it down and tells Reyna that she doesn't have a specific prophecy for her, but she can see the future. And in it, she sees Reyna bringing the Athena Parthenos to camp Half-Blood. Rachel also says that Ella has been spouting lines of the Sibylline books, confirming Octavian's theory that Ella had been saying prophecies and Percy had been hiding it from him. Octavian is furious that they stole Ella and lied about her abilities, in which Grover comments that Ella is a free being and she wants to be in camp because she's dating Tyson, which I was like, why? <laughs> Why do they have it. to date? I hate it so. Like this is the last. This is the last straw, Rick. Like it was already too far to make everyone on of the seven all dating each other. Yeah, but Tyson, Tyson, and Ella. So first, first of all, I, I mean, there's like the level of there's like she's a harpy and he's a cyclops, which is weird. But that's it's the forbidden. thing. It's forbidden. Whatever. Okay, we can pretend like you know. The Greeks have such weird animals anyway, yeah. and mythological. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that they both have the minds of, like, you know, six-year-olds. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, like, they're definitely written as, like, younger yeah. than Percy. And so it feels like little children being like, that's my boyfriend. Which yeah, is fine, I guess. Which is like, fine. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel, but anyway. Octavian has his guards rush to grab Rachel and to hold her hostage, and Grover plays a little tune on his pipes, and the guards' spears turn into Christmas trees. Reyna has had enough, and she raises her voice, which apparently she never does, so everyone stops. And they discuss a little more, um, like, what they have to do. So basically, it's the idea a Roman has to bring the statue in order to create peace. And... Honestly, Reyna doesn't want a war. She doesn't want any more of this to happen. And she's slowly starting to believe that this is true. Like, this letter is from Tartarus and it is from Annabeth. And that they have to go to the ancient lands and all of this other stuff. Basically, um, Rachel and Grover decide they should leave before they cause any more tension. And Reyna decides to accept this quest despite Octavian's protests. She says she knows where Jason will be. He needs an army to face the ghosts in the House of Hades, and she knows where he will be looking for that army. Apparently, Jason alludes to us about a promise he and Reyna made to each other years ago, and he's like, oh, I know what she's talking about. Octavian uh, is in charge while Reyna leaves. She's also like, I know where Jason's gonna go. Like, there's only one place he would go, and I know him, which I think is so funny, because later <laughs> Jason's like, I forgot about it until she mentioned it. That place meant nothing to me. It meant nothing. He's like, oh, yeah, we were 13. 
So Octavian is in charge while Reyna leaves and he makes it clear to Jason, who is just kind of like this, I guess, entity floating in the air watching because Reyna's left the room, that he will be changing the plans and he's probably going to start attacking camp pretty soon. He wants war and he wants power, so he's going to do whatever he can. Jason suddenly hears Piper's voice to wake him up and he realizes as he wakes up he's about to crash into the ocean. So chapter 34 is Piper basically tells Jason that she saw him falling from the sky and right before he hit the ocean, she decided to charm speak him awake so he can fly away in time. It's like a basically quick summary and Jason's like, cool, thanks, bro. And then they get back onto the ship. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, Jason was falling through the sky. (laughs) Yeah, it was so funny. Jason pulls Leo aside and asks to make a detour. And Leo doesn't ask any questions, which Jason really appreciates. Jason is really wired and nervous, and he tells the other about what he saw in his dream. They are silent and scared because they know that their camps are probably going to go to war, and it's low-key their faults, and also they can't really do anything about it. Also, the note means that Annabeth is somehow still alive, which gives them hope, but also makes them really nervous on, like, what is going on below them. Anyway, Jason has this really weird moment where he's having inner dialogue, where he's just, like, he's having this moment where he's like, it kind of feels like a white man realizing like people of color actually are worthy of life. You know what I mean? Because he's basically like, hey, satyrs are actually like, he's like, I've learned not to call them fawns because that's inappropriate. <laughs> and he's like, Coach Hedge taught me not to call them fawns and that satyrs, you know, they are just cap- as capable as us. They're just as lovable and you know, important Mm. as us. And he's like, I really saw that with uh, Grover and I really see that with Coach Hedge, my two satyr friends. So Mm. I was like, okay, okay, thanks, Jason. He's a white guy who took like a diversity (laughs) seminar once. (laughs) Once. And And then is being really weird to his black friends now. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) African-American. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to skip. I skipped most of that. But okay, so Jason is also having an internal struggle of trying to be, here's the typical thing, of he's trying to be the person he was told to be and not the person who's actually guided by his own moral compass. He's like, he feels a little mournful about not going to Camp Half-Blood where he feels that he may have had a better time and more importantly, he had learned to be who he truly is meant to be. Whereas at Camp Jupiter, he was molded to be the hero. He was molded to be the praetor. And he had to follow a certain set of rules and not question authority. And he sees kind of how Percy turned out just to be a kid who doesn't super care about the rules, but just does his best. And that's all he really does. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And it works out great for him. And he's actually beloved by everyone. So, and then even the idea of... fulfilling his duty like if he survives this whole quest and the idea of going back and being praetor at camp jupiter fills him with dread he's like i should want to go back and fix it and i see i see all these issues and i should want to be go back and be a leader but he really wants to go back to camp half-blood with piper and leo instead where he feels like he can truly be happy so he's conflicted so he's just like talking to himself Anyway, the campers wonder how Rena will find them, and Jason says that he, she mentioned a place that Jason had actually forgotten about, a town called Split in Croatia. Leo has changed course, and they're actually ten minutes away now, so surprise, awesome. we're going there. <laughs> Nico guesses that Jason wants to visit Diocletian's palace. Apparently, back in the old days, Jason, back in the old days, you know, two years ago, <laughs> yeah, two Jason... Years ago. And Rena talked about Diocletian a lot. They admired him and they talked about how they would love to visit his palace, but no one was allowed to visit the ancient lands. And Hazel's like, was he great? I feel like he was problematic. And Jason's like, yeah, he persecuted the Christians, but he wasn't that bad. And, you know, he just cut a little bit of genocide. It wasn't that bad. Just a little touch. <laughs> yeah. Diocletian worked his way up from being the child of slaves, but he's also a demigod, which I don't understand because he's a, hmm. he's like, oh, demigods know he's actually the son of Jupiter. So I'm like, you're saying, which also tracks, but he's just saying that Zeus, like, you know, messed around with a woman who was in slavery and was a slave and then left her there. That really tracks, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh. 
And then he joined the legion and basically became emperor. And he was the last Roman emperor to worship the Roman gods before everyone converted to Christianity. Then he retired in the city of Split. The palace is said to be haunted by the emperor's ghost. And according to legend, his scepter can summon the ghosts of Roman legions. Basically anyone in the legion who had once worshipped the old gods. Nico volunteers himself to go with Jason and they head out. The palace is like a shopping center now. That's hilarious. Like it's still the same architecture, but like there's like restaurants and <laughs> gift shops. I mean, in this they talk about how it was basically converted by the Christians and then raided mm-hmm. later. So, you know, mm-hmm. things Classic. go through a lot. Yeah. So chapter 35, at first glance, Jason really likes Split. He's like, it's really nice by the water and it's beautifully built. And he's going with Nico, who he's <clears throat> he's walking around with Nico, who he's actually quite terrified of. <laughs> but he's enjoying himself nevertheless. And then he sees a little man with wings, like a cherub looking man, buying ice cream at a cart. Nico confirms that he's not a spirit, but they don't know what else has wings like that. And I was like, come on, boys, please. <laughs> Didn't they the- watch the Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they watch all three of the Santa Claus Claus movies where they had the council of, like, holiday figures? Come on. Please. Sacred text. (laughs) So the little angel gestures at them. I call him a lot of different names, so just hold Mm. on. The little Mm -hmm. angel gestures at them, and he just disappears. Jason can track the winds and knows that the little man went towards what he guesses is the palace, so they decide to follow him. Jason grabs Nico and they fly after him. Nico says that he's been here before, back with his mom and his sister in 1938. Jason then is like, you know, team building, it's really important for me to like get to know my teammates. So he tries to push and ask questions about Nico's past, but Nico is just immediately shuts it down. Jason tells him that Percy told him about the Lotus Hotel and he's like, you know, that sounds really scary and like, what was it like going through that? And Nico responds, I have to wait, I have to read this. Because it was just like, ugh, so funny. I love all of them trying to bond with Nico and failing. It's so funny. The only person who is actually decent at it is Hazel. And that's because she's related by blood. Even then, she's a little bit like, eh. He's a weirdo. (laughs) He's a weirdo. So Percy told me about that place, Jason said, 70 years. But it only felt like a month? Nico clenched his fist until his fingers turned white. Yeah, I'm sure Percy told you all about me. His voice was heavy with bitterness, more than Jason could understand. He knew that Nico had blamed Percy for getting his sister Bianca killed, but they'd supposedly gotten past that, at least according to Percy. Piper had also mentioned a rumor that Nico had a crush on Annabeth. Maybe that was part of it. Hmm. And so That's so sad. It's so sad. Knowing, like, knowing that he had feelings for Percy, and then he's like, of course, Percy's gossiping about me, but, like, not in the way he wants Percy to be gossiping no. about him. And to be fair, even the way that Jason talks about Nico in the chapter previously, he's like, well, Percy had told him pretty, like, disturbing stories about Nico, where he's like, he's a bit shifty, you can't really trust him. And I was like, that's so sad, Percy. Mm-hmm. Like, Percy should know that, like, he's like, oh, he ended up getting his shit together for the end for the Titan War, but, like, Nico's scary. Like, this kid is at most 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean he's scary? He was 12 I mean, at that point when he betrayed you. He can raise the dead, but he also sacrifices McDonald's to them. Like- I know. He's just a goth boy. Like, you know, I don't know. Anyway, Nico lets Jason know that the Lemires are angry, which are the angry Roman ghosts, and they're everywhere and they're watching them at that moment. Nico says Diocletianus' tomb got moved by the Christians, so the ghost is probably also not very happy. They follow the winged man underground, and Jason is feeling super jumpy. He's just like waiting for ghosts to pop out and attack him. Plus, Nico's with him, who just seems to be growing stronger as they descend into the darkness. And his cool-ass sword is glowing brighter. And Jason's like, this is so weird. I don't like the dead. Which is also really funny because the entire time it's just like, this is a fully bully Nico chapter where Jason's oh, like, yeah. that guy's fucking weird. Every other sentence. And I'm like, we get it. <laughs> and then at the end you're like, oh, oh. oops. <laughs> 
Suddenly, the winged dude jumps out and scares them. He introduces himself as Thavionis, the god of the west wind. He explains that he doesn't have a split personality like the Greek gods and Roman gods because he's a minor god, so he just gets a headache. Um, and it doesn't affect headaches him that much. Headaches and tummy aches. Yeah, headaches and tummy aches. split. <laughs> <laughs> he says that the sarcophagus has been taken by his master, who is Cupid or Eros. Nico doesn't like Eros, and Thavionis calls him out that Eros has been watching him, and it's been about time they meet again. Nico's freaking out, and Jason feels really awkward about it. He's like, I don't really want to know more about Nico's personality, personally. <laughs> He's like, why do I have to know, like, unlock all these character traits right now underground? <laughs> Jason's like, I've seen enough. <laughs> The bonding's over. Bonding's over. Like, I tried. We had a couple of Q&As. It was awkward. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Davionis says that the one Nico cared about the most has been plunged into Tartarus, which is like Jason's theory of Annabeth being someone that Nico had a crush on. And he's like, wow, maybe it was deeper than a crush. That's so weird. Davionis how says weird. That, how weird. Nico gross. experiencing <laughs> feelings? Weird. Well, that's how Frank said, too. And like, in I that know. chapter... He was so it's sad. He's like, I can't ever imagine Nico being in love. And I was like, okay, have you not heard any like of the pop, like punk rock songs? There's a bunch of goths talking about being in love and out of love. Like it's very common amongst them. <laughs> goths feel love too. <laughs> <laughs> New shirt slogan. <laughs> New sticker dropped right there. Fabiana says that they have to go through a trial in order to get a sarcophagus from Eros and also to get the scepter. Nico looks like he's about to vomit at the idea of facing the god of love, which I was like, me too, baby. But they agreed to let Fabionis send them over to Cupid. So chapter 36, they they basically are turned into the wind and sent to Eros, which makes them feel like they're about to vomit on their way there. Jason's like, I can fly, I can be carried by the wind, but I don't like being turned into the wind. When they arrive, their body rematerializes. Jason notes the size of the ruins in the town that they're in. Probably it was once huge and grand, but now it's mostly a shell of what it used to be. They're in Salone. Salone, I guess. Mm. Making it Italian. Capital of Dalmatia. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there? You I think Dalmatia is what used to be Croatia or it's that area or something. Oh, okay. I think. So, okay. Okay. Let's say they are in Salone, capital of Dalmatia, and the home of Cupid. The area is somehow creepier than the basement that they were just in. And Fabionis tells them his story. He monologues. He's like how he fell in love with a man. And it basically blows Jason's mind that gay people exist. He's like, he? You fell in love with him? And he's like, yes, Jason, does this shock you? Scandalize you? And it does for a moment. And Jason has to go through a whole like, you know what? I think it's okay if people are gay. Jason, this is really like his first diversity it, seminar. It's really bad. It's like he's he like thinks about it for a moment and he's like, I don't like thinking about like gods, you know, messing around very much. And um, let alone like, but I guess it's like, is it really worse that a god messes around with a woman versus with a man? Like all outcomes usually are pretty poor. And I'm like, that's pretty fair. Yeah. He's yeah. like, no matter what, I don't want to think of my parents having sex, which yeah. is, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so basically, Fabionis catches the man that he loved fooling around with Apollo. So he sent a heavy ring with the power of the wind and it crashed into the guy's head and it killed the man that he loved and also that Apollo loved. So Apollo turned that man to a flower, which is where you get the hyacinth. And in order to avoid Apollo's wrath, he agreed to serve Cupid to get protection. Anyway, Cupid is a dick. And he flies around and just whispers to them and just, like, hits them invisible. He just keeps slamming into Jason and, like, throwing arrows. And the arrows are invisible. They just, like, make you, like, see pictures of the person you love or confront love or whatever. And he doesn't stop monologuing the whole time. He picks at Jason's doubts for his love for Piper. He's basically like, you found true love, but why are you confused? I'm like, because he's 16, mm -hmm. Cupid. Mm -hmm. Cupid sends arrows at Jason, and he's able to cut them down just in time. He mentions that his counterpart is Thanatos, our hottest death man, back mm -hmm. from um, the son of Neptune. And 
he mentions actually sometimes death is kinder than love. And I was like, wow, 2014 Tumblr would have eaten this shit up. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he has a Tumblr and he just like picks up quotes or a Pinterest and he just like writes them down like right before he's about to confront somebody. And he's like, oh, this is good. This is what I'm going to mention while I beat the shit out of them. He definitely has the like, Love and hate are two sides of the same coin. Oh, like, yeah. That one but, he's got in his pocket. <laughs> it's held up by a girl who's hiding her face from the camera. Yes. Oh, it's black and white. It's black and white for some reason, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While he is fighting, um, he's basically shouting greeting card sayings, which is what something Nico calls them, which I think is funny. He manages to hit Nico with an arrow. Cupid then tells them, still monologuing, the story of his wife, Psyche, who wanted to see his true face. Basically, he was prom- she was promised that they can be together as long as he ne- she never looks at him. And I think she basically began-, began to fear that he looked ugly. And so she um, tries to see his face when he's sleeping. And in revenge, Aphrodite... His mother, which I was like, why is his mother involved? <laughs> it, it curses Psyche. And so Psyche is like ostracized, isolated, and goes through a lot of pain and torment, but eventually is able to earn her way back to be with Cupid. Jason thinks he's got Cupid. He's like, while Cupid is monologuing, thinks he's about to strike him down, but misses and is thrown around by the god for a bit. Finally, Nico stands up and says that it's him that Cupid wants. He says that he's been to Tartarus and back and he's not afraid of the god of love, but Cupid disagrees. Cupid essentially forces Nico to explain why he's always isolating himself from everyone, running away from camp and hiding among the dead. Jason sees then flashes of Percy being a hero from the eyes of little baby Nico in different like situations and scenarios. Like Percy's the first demigod that Nico ever saw. He looks like that action figure from his game come to life. And he thinks that Percy is just the bee's knees. He even sees being betrayed by Percy, but still liking him and hating himself for liking Percy. Because at the end of the day, he's a child from the 40s and being gay is not okay. Nico managed to get Roman skeletons to attack Cupid, but it's not strong enough. Ne- Jason really wants Cupid to stop. He doesn't want or need Nico to admit aloud what he feels. He's like, I get it. You don't have to say it. But Nico finally does. He's always had a crush on Percy, which is like, same, babe. And it's made him feel horrible inside. Jason is kind and says that if Nico wanted to share this information, he's like, everyone would actually have your back and really openly accept you. But that's up to you. If you don't want to tell anyone, I won't tell anyone the secret either. Nico doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. Cupid is gone after finishing torturing Nico. And um, they have the scepter. So they decide to shadow travel back. All I can think of is that TikTok audio where that person's like, I'm an ally. (laughs) (laughs) Jason. I mean, he just found out about gay people like three sentences back. Like, it's blowing his mind. He had a pretty, like, nice reaction. I know. For having just had his uh, worldview expanded, he's very accepting. Yeah. Which is nice to see in the white man. (laughs) (laughs) The bare minimum. Yeah. 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 This is refreshing. Like, I think framing Jason as, like, this white kid who just, like, walked into his first college class on feminism is my favorite way to frame Jason. It's It's so fun. He's really endearing that way because he's just like, hey, I actually really love people and this is how I can be an ally and he'll be aggressively an ally for the rest of the time. Yeah. He's, he's, I like, I really think Jason's the ultimate himbo. I think so too. Like he's he just... really he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um oh I have some notes. Uh okay. one of the ones I wanted to talk about. So there's a weird line where so when Jason's talking about Reyna, he like is watching Piper because he does the same thing that Percy does, where he gets a little nervous when he mentions <laughs> like an ex-love. But Piper is very cool about it. And but then when she, like, turns to talk to him, Jason's, like, all he can look at, like, is her eyes and get lost in her. And then he smells her. And it's, like, a lot of descriptions about it. And he goes, he wonders if Piper had worked some some Aphrodite magic. So every time he mentions Reyna, he would only be able to think about a Piper. And he talks about how 
he's like, is that's not the worst sort of revenge? And I was like, am I missing? What revenge? Why does she need revenge? I don't know, but I'm like, that It just reveals some insecurity he has in this relationship already. Like, he I, already has a, like, a lack of trust here going on, but also he kind of wants to be manipulated. I think, I know that the point of it is to be like, even when he mentions Reyna, like, she's insignificant because he thinks Piper is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to come off that way, but it comes off weird instead. It comes off really weird, I yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Also, the there's, like, a line about Hazel asks a question and nobody looks at her in the eye because everyone's still scared of her after she manipulated the mist. And it's hilarious to me. She's like, why are we going that way? Nobody will look at her. They're all looking at the floor instead. <laughs> Like, y'all just saw her have, like, such a horse girl moment, and you're afraid of her. (laughs) I love it. Hazel is kind of scary, though. I know we did get a question on Instagram. Oh, let me look. I think it was from Mary, from someone named Mary, asked, um, what are our thoughts, our reaction to this Nico coming out scene? Um... I know people have a lot of qualms with it, like he's forced to come out, but I think that it wasn't, and of course, like, what, Jason, of all people? (laughs) I know. But at the same time, I think that it, if it has to go through a side quest and we're developing Nico's character, right, the way to do it is to maybe force Nico into this position where he is still the strongest person in the room but he's being vulnerable. Mm. It's not my it's not the my least favorite way it's done, but it's not great in any way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like I don't I don't hate it. I don't feel like I have that deep of thoughts on it. I think no. that it is very much of the like it was honestly not even it's of the time and it was kind of like I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It was very progressive of the time. Yeah. Like, I don't think any... I know there are middle grade books with queer characters, but I but of, like, as big of a name as Rick, at the time this was published, there weren't... There were very few, like, big publisher in bookstores, popular middle grade books with openly gay characters. And so, like... I feel like this was kind of of the time. It reads like, I, the first time I read this, I was like, it reads like Rick, like his kid or someone he knew, he thought they were gay and he wrote this chapter to be like, it's okay if you are. Like, it felt like Jason is kind of Rick's self-insertion. And yeah. like, you know, I don't, I don't know what Rick's sexuality is. He's married to a woman. I don't know. He could be anything. Like th- that doesn't mean anything, and so I don't. I don't know how he relates to this, or if he does or does not. But, um, yeah, it just kind of reads to me like Jason is the uncomfortable straight dad being like, you know, it's okay, if you're son. gay, <laughs> you know, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> I did definitely like it better the second time I read mm. it the first time I was like what <laughs> the first time it's like out of nowhere like it's yeah. not out of nowhere like it's built into Nico's character but like the scene is yeah. so randomly from Jason's point of view <laughs> I know it's also it I remember feeling like I was I was a bit blindsided but more than that I was like is that really necessary to do right now like i know we're all going Mm -hmm. through for some reason everyone has to date somebody (laughs) but like i was like oh interesting but now the second time reading through it i feel like he drops a lot of hints and he makes it very it also does give a lot more depth nico's character explain like a little bit why he's so angry yeah. I mean, to be fair, he doesn't have to be gay. He had plenty of reason to be angry before. Like, his yeah. sister died and his, you know, everyone thinks he's weird and smells like death. Like, that doesn't yeah. feel good. But, um, yeah, I don't really hate it. Yeah, I know yeah. people, like, have thoughts about, you know, the, like, the fact that Nico, like, there's so much self-hatred that Nico has for being yeah. gay. 
which is like not a great example in kids books you know if a kid is reading it and they're gay to see the gay character be hating themselves for that even if nico is like grows to accept himself more um i think i've seen the comment that like nico is from the 40s like yeah there's a lot more stigma for him to work through he's only been in this century for like three years or something which is also a good point and I think Rick does a once we get to Trials of Apollo I think he does a good job of including more openly gay characters that are like are open and like comfortable and aren't self-loathing about that part of their identity and so I like to think he's learned <laughs> we'll see yeah <laughs> how the like the Nico book is yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not writing that one, so that helps. Yeah, he's, like, jointly yeah. writing it with a queer man, so that's cool. All right. Those are my thoughts. Oh. Wonderful. It's Annabeth time. These ones th- these ones are always so short and, and tartarous. All right. So, chapters... Annabeth chapters 37 through 40. Chapter 37... We left off with Percy dying in Bob's arms thanks to all the curses, and Annabeth is not having a great time watching that happen. Bob is taking them somewhere to get Percy help, and Annabeth is like, where are we going? And Bob doesn't give a straight answer, and Annabeth hates that because she hates not knowing. Mm. Bob leads them to a blank black swamp with sulfur yellow mist in the air that's surrounded by a surprising amount of plants that are somehow growing without sunlight or water. And in the tar-like bog, Annabeth spies giant footprints. She suspects Dracon footprints. Annabeth's like a tracker, apparently. She's like, I read a footprint book. (laughs) And Bob's like, yeah, that's a good sign, which baffles Annabeth. This is basically her her worst type of situation because she doesn't know where they're going. The person they're with isn't being super clear about what's going on. And Annabeth hates not knowing things. And also Percy is like on the brink of death. Mm. But she follows after Bob because she doesn't really have any other choice. They reach a muddy clearing like an island in the muck. And I'm, I had a really hard time not making a Shrek reference here. And then I decided to just go with it and make a Shrek reference. So um, I'm imagining Shrek's cabin in his swamp. It is described as a hut made of bones and greenish leather, which I think could be interpreted as Tartarus Shrek. And what naturally catches Annabeth's eye because she's like much smarter than me and wouldn't just stand there being like, wow, it looks like Shrek's house. Where is Donkey? <laughs> Shrek? <laughs> she instead notices the Dracon skull and is like, whatever lives here kills Dracons. Um, or at least uh, she hopes so because she turns around, she hears a mighty scream and finds a Dracon barreling after them. Chapter 38. Annabeth is ready to fight this strike on herself, tells Bob to, like, bring Percy to safety, but Bob says that she won't have to, and he's like, any minute now. And then, indeed, a giant emerges from Tartarus Shrek Hut. He's 20 feet tall with a humanoid upper body and reptilian legs. He has no weapon, only a shirt stitched together from sheep hides and leather. His chin, his chin, his skin is cherry red and his beard is also red and braided with tufts of grass and swamp flowers. And I was like, this is not Brittany's work. She would not use swamp flowers and grass. This man did not go to Brittany. This is DIY. Brittany yeah, he did clean this up himself. later. Yeah. 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 The giant defeats the Dracon pretty easily and is honestly kind of upset about this defeat because the Dracon didn't leave behind very good bones and the giant was like, I wanted a walking stick. But he says he will use the Dracon's skin for the outhouse because he's a sustainable king. I love that. I do. I love that. This giant's name is Damason and Bob says that he is a good giant. Damison invites them all inside to eat some stew and see about helping Percy. I'm just imagining, when you said outhouse, I'm just imagining that intro scene of Shrek. <laughs> with, the, with the moon? Somebody wants <laughs> it, 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 it makes it worse that this is like a swamp dweller that's reluctant, like doesn't want to go on this quest with them. No. It's like kind of morally neutral. Like it's <laughs> it's Shrek. It's starter Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> it's great <laughs> so chapter 39 
The Shrek hut is actually quite cozy, which surprises Annabeth since it's in the middle of Tartarus. Annabeth asks Damison to cure Percy, and she refers to him as her friend. And I really liked this bit in the book where it says her voice caught on the word friend. Percy was a lot more than that. Even boyfriend didn't really cover it. They'd been through so much together. At this point, Percy was a part of her. A sometimes annoying part, sure, but definitely a part she could not live without. Aww. I love that. I, I love I that. I remember you used to not call Mike your boyfriend. And you were like, because I don't I know. like the word boyfriend. I was like, okay, what is he then? <laughs> Friend boy? <laughs> Friend boy. Wow, we're just like on the level of Annabeth and person. No, I remember that. And then I like, I still don't really like using husband either. I don't know. It just sounds like I'm in a sitcom. (laughs) Where he eats you and you cook. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we're in like a 50s sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved that little bit. I thought it was really cute. Um, Where was I? Okay. Damison grabs a bowl of soup and says that Gorgon's blood is hardly a challenge for his talents. Mm. He feeds Percy the broth, and with each sip, Percy looks better. Percy's eyes flutter open. He just grins at Annabeth and says, feel great, and then passes (laughs) out asleep, which I love that bit. I love Percy. Cartoon moment, yeah. He's so good. Damison says for payment for his help, he requires a story. So Annabeth begins to tell Damison about their plans, which she feels a bit awkward about considering Gaia is Damison's mom and also Tartarus is his father. He lives inside of his father. (laughs) That's a little weird. That's a little Mm. Freudian. I'd love to know what Freud has to say about it. To be fair, all the gods live on top of their their grandma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Freud would have a field day. Mm-hmm. He probably did. I mean, he did have a fi- We know what he thought about mm-hmm. Medusa. He did have a field day with Greek He mythology. had too much field time, actually. We need yeah. him have less of days. Put him back in the cage. <laughs> <laughs> so Damison, however, is not a big fan of his parents. So he kind of is enjoying this story. He wishes them luck fighting his mom and then says that they should be more worried about his father because Tartarus knows that they're there. He's clearly been thwarting them with how many things they've faced already. Damison promises to obscure their location from monsters for a while so they can rest in his shack. But he says that finding the doors of death will be impossible. However, he does know where the doors are. He says that the doors are at the heart of Tartarus, where everything in Tartarus flows to. Annabeth asks him to help them and come on their quest, and he guffaws at her. He shares that he once helped mortals and it didn't go well. He was born to be the opposite of Ares, so the opposite of war is peace. He lived a life, which is kind of confusing how the opposite thing happens, because, like, not all of them are, like, not all of the giants are actually the opposite of the god. Like, the Poseidon giant also likes the ocean. Maybe they just messed up on this one. (laughs) I think it's rather than opposite, it's supposed to be their pairing, like, to replace Mm -hmm. them. Like, the same way, like, the Titans, there was already a god, Titan of the sea and Titan of the other stuff, and you just replace them with gods. Well, then I like that they tried to replace war with peace. Like I know. And it didn't Going back fit to Team Gaia. Capitalistic structure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had lived a peaceful life as a farmer on Earth and refused to fight the gods, um, which he down the line was cursed for that. A Dracon killed a human shepherd, which was a friend of his, like in the war, I guess. A dracon just killed this guy. And so in return, he hunted the creature and slew it. And since this creature was was Gaia's and the giant armies, she opened up the earth and sent him into his father for this. And every day the dracon reforms and attacks him as part of the curse. And he has to kill it again and again and again, which seems like a waste of more dracons, really. Yeah. But There's I guess also- it's for the for the curse. I love his, like, his, you know, friend. His human shepherd friend. Same way Annabeth, you know, and Percy are friends. Yeah, this was his lover. 100%. Oh, I like that read of it. Yeah. Come on, Rick. You just wrote a chapter introducing (laughs) us to gays. I know. (laughs) They exist. (laughs) Annabeth urges uh, Damison to break his curse and leave, but he says there's no way and that they're doomed. 
Annabeth mentions the death mist that Bob wants to use and is like, actually, we have a plan. And this surprises Damison. He admits that it is the best plan, but it's also terrible. Damison tells them to get some rest and he'll prepare some supplies for them, but he can't do any more and won't come with them. So chapter 40. Upon waking up, Annabeth overhears a private conversation between Bob and Damison. She like wakes up and is like, I'm going to stay asleep and absorb what they're talking about. So Damison says, you haven't told her, to which Bob says, no, she's already scared. Damison asks Bob why he's even bothering to help these demigods when they're meant to be the foes of demigods, to which Bob asks, well, why did you heal the boy? Damison reflects that he finds Annabeth and Percy intriguing, and because they've been so resilient, but he says it's not their fate to help demigods any further. Bob asks if he likes this fate, and Damison asks if anyone does, which gets very deep suddenly mm. for these two giants talking, or giant and titan. And Bob says that he liked being Bob, like he liked his fate then, before he began to remember the rest, which is very sad. And then Bob asks Damison if he remembers the sun, like he starts reminiscing about time on Earth. And Damison does. He says he misses it, in particular the sunsets. And Bob says he misses the stars too and would like to say hello to them again. <laughs> Which is a sweet moment that's going to come back and haunt, and haunt us. us all. Yeah. <laughs> they both get a bit dreamy with hope for a moment, but Damison shuts it down, saying it's useless talk. And then Percy wakes up and causes a scene flailing. Like, unlike Annabeth, cat, like waking up and being like, I'm going to take in my surroundings before I let people know I'm awake. Percy just flails <laughs> immediately and is like, where am I? <laughs> Which I guess makes sense because he was unconscious when he got there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they don't have much time to fill Percy in on all that happened because they're being hunted. Damison hands them some packs filled with supplies. Annabeth recalls the prophecy of seven in that moment because she's thinking about what they had been talking about and how they said um, giants and titans are the foes of demigods. And she's just like, foes bear arms to the doors of death. And she's like, you're supposed to come with us. Giants and Titans are meant to be our foes. This fulfills the prophecy if all of us are together. But Damison refuses, saying that his curse is in his swamp. In the distance, they hear Polybides, who's found them, crying out, The son of the sea god is close! And <laughs> Why I just would he love... give away his location like that? <laughs> He's just, he like, does, he wants to be caught. He's like yeah. walking around like, I'm looking for Percy. Percy, he if you're here, photo don't him move. He's, he's showing everyone the photo of Percy being like, yeah. have you seen this man? Yeah. He just, it's like, he's memorized at night. He just stares at it. I know. He's like, I will kill you one day. He's just, he's obsessed. He and Kelly have a fan club. They do. I'm, yeah. like, surprised Kelly isn't there, too, right now. I know. But they, uh, so they have to leave. They don't have time to tell Percy where <laughs> he even is. Damison then, before leaving, gives Annabeth a blade of dragon bone, because, as we remember, like, she doesn't have a weapon right now. Um, he says it's one last gift for the child of Athena, because clearly he, she grew on him. And mm -hmm. then he urges them out the door. She's the donkey to his shoes. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, my notes. There's a point where Annabeth, as Percy's dying, thinks about how Aphrodite, when they all had tea, was like, oh, Annabeth, your love life will be so interesting. And she's like, did Aphrodite make this happen to me? And, like, low-key, I'm like, I feel like she... she she influenced it. Like, yeah. she was watching them about to fall and was like, oh my gosh, send them both. <laughs> that makes great television. Yeah. And we agree. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, When Percy's lying um, almost dead on Bob's shoulder, the only thing he mutters is Annabeth's name, which, again, like, kill me. That's beautiful. Mm. Um, And also, oh, the <laughs> Annabeth, when she sees the Dracon, she mentions that it has <laughs> the same Ross's Percy, which was a really weird thing. She's like, they're at sea green, my favorite color, which is Percy's eye color. I was yeah, like, hilarious. okay, you're about to die. Well, it's hilarious because you, you know, just referred her to be donkey. This is a dragon and she's staring <gasps> into the dragon's eyes. Stop. <laughs> she leaves Percy for the dragon. She's like, I'm sorry, but like he had bigger sea green eyes, okay? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh no. Uh, the 
those are all my notes on that bit. Ugh, great chapters. So good. Even though it's Jason, I forgive it. It was quite entertaining yeah. to read, regardless. It was, yeah, and a lot happened. A lot happened, so we'll go through these lightning bolt round questions quickly because we are <laughs> running out of time. So here are here's my first question. What do you imagine Cupid or Eros to be like in his best form and then when his worst form? You know how we talked about how Ooh. gods have two sides? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I feel like the one we had here was kind of his worst. Yeah. Like being like taunting and making fun of people and making them like feel ashamed for love yeah whereas like love is a burden and it's yeah yeah and it makes you feel bad and it's mm-hmm. embarrassing and it makes you hate yourself for having those feelings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah good one yeah he was a yeah that whole like dick. death is kinder than love like what, what? in shut the world up. shut what up in the 2014 tumblr <laughs> yeah it's too much. <laughs> His best form is probably very similar to what how Annabeth described Percy. I think. Mm, yeah, like he's more than a he's like a friend, but he's more than a friend. He's more than a boyfriend. It's like at that point, it's like a partner, and I think that's yeah. very lovely. Like about partnership and yeah. overall companionship. I like yeah. that form of Cupid. Yeah, very gentle, very like yeah. nurturing. Rather mm-hmm. than mean and yeah. invisible. Yeah. <laughs> um, this one I put in here that we got from a listener because I sort of felt like it was relevant. Um, on Instagram, Beast Brain asked, what's the most bizarre relationship in the Camp Half-Blood series? And I thought it was relevant because of the Tyson and Ella comment. Definitely up there. I know, if I remember correctly... Coach Hedge and yeah, Nymph yeah. have like a weird Melly. relationship. Mm-hmm. Nelly, yeah. And so that they mentioned that in Jason's chapters because they're talking about how he hasn't been able to Iris message her and he's getting really yeah. anxious about it. Mm-hmm. I think that was weird, especially the way it developed. I did not love it. <laughs> it was a little bit, it was again, it felt like Rick just really tried, like even the, the their chaperone has to have a girlfriend, <laughs> wife, person. Nymph yeah. person. Yeah, I agree. I also think Clarice and Chris is that one. Yeah, that one's weird. It's so weird. Like, they've made it so, it was so on the nose with Clarice and Serena, and, like, she's supposed to still be with Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's I'm weird like, to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to be uh, to be fair, we didn't learn about gay people until this book. So <laughs> You're right. No this way chapter. Clarice could be gay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Rick, <Maybe didn't> now. <laughs> Rick didn't know. Rick didn't know. We'll see what they do at the show. That'll be interesting. Maybe they'll open it up a little bit. I wouldn't be mad. Though it'd be yeah. hard. I mean, it would be hard for it to happen because, you know, Selena has Beckendorf that she essentially betrays and dies for. And mm-hmm. then Chloe, that's like another killing another, you know, you know, gay couple. And like, they're not yeah. a couple, really, I guess. But, you know, it's complicated at that point, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Maybe they'll give Clarice a good, like, a sweet little girlfriend. Yeah. Or maybe Chris they'll make Chris... Yeah, Chris yeah. can be a girl name, too. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I would Ooh. like that twist. Ooh. The people on Twitter, the, the assholes on Twitter would have weird thoughts about that. Uh, they have weird thoughts about everything. I think exactly. Fine, yeah. Yeah. Um, the question I came up with: Would you rather hang out with Bob or Damison? I feel like Damison would be fun to talk to and really philosophical. Bob is really fun and sweet, but I don't know how much we'd have in common to talk. About. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like hanging out with a like a toddler, you know? Yeah, I agree. I also am like I'm not a cat person. I feel like we couldn't bond about the weird skeleton cat. Um, Damison, I feel like he's a, he's an old grump with a soft inner heart. Like he would make me- inner heart? What is the heart heart. on the outside? (laughs) What? But you know, I feel like he'd make me soup. Yeah, he made me soup and then I'd like talk to him and like break down his shell. Yeah, or he would like give me unsolicited, really deep philosophical advice. Yeah. Yeah. Come have tea every day. Yeah. Sorry, Bob. Sorry, Bob. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, next time we are doing chapters 40 through 47, Piper and Percy. 
and if you are interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon. The link is in the episode description. You can also find the link to send us an audio message if you would like to send in any questions. We'll try to include them where they fit or at the end of the book or the season. We are loving your questions, your fan art, all the things that you send mm-hmm. to us on email and social media. So keep sending that. And if you, um, people have been pretty good about telling us whether they want their names in or not our episodes, but we will it, um, just let us know. It makes it easier. So our social is at camphathpod. Our email is camphathpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to us. Bye-bye.